Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. Well, well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you. I popped on yesterday and there were so many familiar faces from last year. And uh, Pastor Lori just mentioned Heartstrong Kids Wednesday night. And I just want to say God sent my way an incredible team of ladies. There's Kim, Jane, Jen, Steph, and Siobhan who are faithful and serving with me in that. And it is just so encouraging. Okay, so we're going to read our verse together first. I did not forget about that. So here we go. So let's read John 8. 28 through 32. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sends me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to dive in just a second. Um, My document will be posted online, and I did uh, do have quite a list of references. I did a lot of reading heading into today, so they will be posted online if you need to know where I got any of this from today. Now, when I was asked to teach on Judges 6 to 8, the story of Gideon, I had immediate flashbacks to Sunday school lessons. Anybody go to Sunday school? They taught us of Gideon's courage, his faithfulness, and his military victories. But it's interesting what you see when you begin to examine his story as an adult believer. There are so many life lessons, leadership lessons, and faith lessons that we can glean. Unfortunately, we don't have time for them all this morning. It's interesting to note that there's more space devoted to Gideon in the book of Judges, there are 100 verses, than to any other judge, and Gideon is the only judge whose personal struggles with his faith are recorded. Maybe we have a lot to learn from Gideon. I also noticed in my research and my Google searches, the teachings from Judges 6 and 7 came up the most. They're most common, and many of them speak of Gideon's heroism, And if we look in Hebrews 11, the Heroes of Faith chapter, he is mentioned in verses 32 to 34. And that reads, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Saul and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. We will say today that Gideon's weaknesses were turned to strength and he did become powerful in battle. So this is how I'm going to be approaching Judges 6 to 8 this morning. Sorry, I'm going to be dividing Gideon's life into three parts. Part one will come from Judges 6 and Gideon starts his career, excuse me, as somewhat of a coward. He is fearful. 
part two, we're going to see <clears throat> his life from in Judges 7, verse 1 to 8, verse 21. And he will become a conqueror. He will become a hero. He is faithful. Then we come to a portion of scripture that Sunday school lessons usually don't touch on. Part three will come from Judges 8, verses 22 to 35. Gideon ends his career in life as a compromiser. He is foolish. He's a fallen hero. So this morning, we're going to take off those rose-colored Sunday school glasses and examine Gideon's life through the lens of fearful, faithful, and foolish, or coward, conqueror, and compromiser. And along the way, we're going to pull some life lessons for ourselves as well. So before we dive in, we're just going to pray a moment. So dear Heavenly Father, we, you know, we thank you for your word this morning. We remember what Paul wrote in Romans 15, 4, that says, for everything that is written in the past was written to teach us. So God, we open our hearts and our minds to the lessons you have to show us this morning. May they fall in the fertile soil of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so yesterday, Barb and Ted set the scene so well for today's lesson. Thank you so much. Judges 5 finishes with, and it says, and the land had rest, NIV uses the word peace, 40 years. Chapter 6 starts, the people of Israel that was did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, I know you are all familiar now with the pattern of the cycle of the book of Judges. I heard that yesterday. Part one, or like first part of the cycle is the people are at rest in the land. And we read that at the end of chapter five. Two, they rebel against God and idolatry. That's how chapter six starts. And then part three, or the third part of the pattern of the cycle is then God sends their enemies in judgment against them. So they cry out to God. Also, chapter six, verse one. So we actually have completed the first three parts of this cycle. Check that off the list. Okay. But who are the Midianites? The Midianites were desert people descended from Abraham's second wife, Keturah. Hope I said that right. Genesis 25, verses one and two. From this relationship came a nation that was always in conflict with Israel. Years earlier, the Israelites, while still wandering in the desert, battled the Midianites and almost totally destroyed them. Almost totally. There's a sermon right there. And that's you'll find that in Numbers 31, 1 to 20. Because of their failure to completely destroy them, this tribe has repopulated. And here they are once again oppressing Israel. The Midianites were powerful, and we'll see this in verses 2 to 6. They have impoverished Israel. Verse 5 says that they have come in like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land they came in. And it was so bad for the Israelites that they've left their homes. We read this in verse 2. They're now living in caves, mountains, and strongholds. Verse 6 and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So God brought bondage through the oppression of the Midianites. And this is an example really of God's grace and mercy to Israel because the oppression would then turn them back to God. It would make them turn them back to God. It would have been worse if God had just left them alone. But why wait seven years to cry out? You know what? because they're like us. They waited until every possible option played out. 
And uh, how many times do we try to handle things on our own, right? We wait to the last possible moment. So a life lesson, don't wait till the, you come to the end of your rope. Don't make prayer your last resort. Call on God first in every situation. Well, we could pick it up at verses seven and eight. God replies to their cry for help, and he sends them an unnamed prophet. We don't know who this prophet is. But through him, the Lord reminds them of the love and power of God. God had been loving and powerful enough to deliver them from Egypt. And now he will do the same for them and will deliver them from the Midianites. And the prophet's message also shows that Israel doesn't, didn't, they didn't understand that they were the problem. They had entered back into idolatry. Their cry for help didn't mean that they had recognized or repented of their sin. So now it's time for the next cycle in this judge's pattern. And that is God rescues them by sending a judge to save them. So here it is, the first part of Gideon's story, Judges 6, verses 11 to 24, the call of Gideon, coward. So we meet Gideon, and Ted talked about this yesterday. We meet Gideon in a very peculiar way in verse 11. Gideon is a farmer. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, and a wine press is a pit in the ground, okay? Now, usually, if you want to thresh wheat, you go to the top of a hill where it's maybe a little breezy, throw your grain up, the chaff would blow away, and the grain heads would fall to the ground. But the hero of our story, he's hiding out in this wine press. Now, an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Ironic, a hiding, fearful man called mighty man of valor. He is not being addressed as who he is in the present, but how God sees him and knows who he will be in the future. Now, I want to address here really quickly who the angel of the Lord is. Scholars recognize that this Old Testament appearance is of Jesus Christ in human bodily forms as God himself before his incarnation at Bethlehem. Now, the description of this meeting with the angel of the Lord shows that it's not merely an angel speaking on behalf of God, and it's because of the use of the first person. And if we read some of this, uh, verses 14 to 16, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land of Midian. And right here it says, do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I love that. I will be with you. God told Gideon this and God promised to give him the strength he needed to overcome the Midianites. So God's assurance to Gideon was not to build up his self-confidence, but to assure him that God was indeed with him. I've said that a few times. And even though God was made, had made it quite clear of his presence in Gideon's life and in his circumstance, Gideon still makes excuses. He said he's the least of his tribe. He's the youngest of his family. All he can see are his own limitations and his weaknesses. Something for us today. Now, we are all called to serve God in specific ways. You know, do we make excuses for why we can't move ahead? Are we fearful of the task God has called us to do? Remember that God knows you far 
better than you know yourself. If he has called you, he will equip you. He will be with you. Now, God made this assurance to Moses when he called him. Remember the burning bush? In Exodus 3, 2, he said, I will be with you. And Jesus gave us this same assurance and gave it to all believers in Matthew 28, 20, when he said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're now going to move ahead to the next part of Gideon's life. I mean, there's so much more to this chapter. It continues on with Gideon asking God for a sign, which God is gracious enough to give to him. And at the end of that, Gideon is at peace. So chapters, sorry, chapter six, verses 25 to 32, we're beginning to get introduced now to Gideon, the conqueror, or the faithful, or the faith-filled. So as soon as God has called Gideon to deliver Israel, he's given him a task, really, literally that same night, he's giving him a task to tear down the altar of Baal at his father's home. And we read in verse 25, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God at the top with a stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So Gideon obeyed. Even though he was frightened, his courage hadn't been fully developed yet, he went at night and he did as God had asked him to. When the morning came, though, the Baal worshippers were enraged and they wanted to put him to death. And from that, you can clearly see how wicked and rebellious the people of uh, Israel had become. Because in Deuteronomy 13, 6 to 11, idolaters were to be stoned to death. But here it's the opposite. Okay, the idolaters want to um, put a Gideon to death, and he's the God follower. Now, in this story, Joash, uh, Gideon's father, defends him in verse uh, 31. And the, through this incident, actually, Gideon is given the nickname Jerobal, which means that Baal contend against him. So what can we learn from this? Before Gideon can be used publicly, he must first clean up his own life. He must clean up his private life, his home life. His family is breaking the first and second commandments with Baal on their property. So for us, you know, if there's anything we're holding on to, if there's anything that's hidden in our lives before we can minister, at this time to clean that out as well. We can learn that from Gideon's life. Okay, now verse 33, we read that the Midianites have returned, all, have, they're back, they've returned. It's harvest time, they're back. And they've come with the Amalekites and people of the East. I love the first word of this next verse in verse 34, it says, but. But the Holy Spirit, sorry, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. Yeah, the enemy's there, but, but the Spirit of the Lord is there too. So Gideon sounds that trumpet. The Holy Spirit has come upon Gideon for a specific reason and to divinely empower his leadership. Because of this, after the sounding of the trumpet, 32,000 men come to follow him into battle. Amen. He sounded the trumpet, he's gathered an army. 
Now in Judges 6, 36 to 40, I remember this learning this as a child in Sunday school very clearly. It's the sign of the fleece. It's that story. And you're probably all very familiar with it. We won't go into it in detail at all today, but excuse me. Even though we had read earlier that God had promised to be with Gideon and that he would defeat Midian, Gideon had, and Gideon had already witnessed one miracle, the one I didn't talk about that Sonia had asked for, that's Judges 6, 17 through 21. Go ahead and read that. He's asking for a sign. He's doubting. Actually, he asked for a second and a third sign here. You read in verse 36. How do we know he's doubting? Because he starts a sentence, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, he's doubting. He wants to be certain that God will really deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. So, you know, we could get into a lot of talk about, is he testing God or is he simply asking God for more uh, encouragement? There are so many ways we could look into this passage, but either way, this test and God's provision of a sign does embolden Gideon. God is truly gracious with him. So for us, remember that if you're having doubts about things that are happening in your life or things that God is asking you to do, we don't have to ask for a sign, do we? Deuteronomy 6.16 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Today, the greatest source of guidance we have is God's word. And we also have the Holy Spirit living within us. Okay, on to chapter seven. A lot happened in chapter six. We're off to chapter seven. Are you still with me? Here we go. All right. Oh, I see that. So Gideon's 300 men. Oh, wait a minute. Did I just say 32,000? Oh, one second. Here we go. Usually numbers win a war, but when God enters the picture, the rules change and hallelujah for that. Gideon has had 32,000 men answer the trumpet call. Gideon is ready to fight, but God has other plans. Verse two of chapter seven, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my hand has saved me. This explains why the army of 32,000 is too large. Israel would take credit for the victory. It's time to trim down the army. And in the next verses, you can read that the numbers are reduced from 32,000 to 300. Now, can you only imagine when Gideon was feeling? Because later on in chapter eight, it tells us the Midianite army numbered 135,000 men. So that's 450 Midianites to every one Israelite soldier. So verses 10 and 11, they are facing overwhelming odds. Gideon is afraid, he's apprehensive, and who wouldn't be? God understands this, and he wanted Gideon to find encouragement and build his faith for the battle ahead. He instructs him to go to the enemy camp and overhear a conversation that would give him courage, and you can read that in 12 to 15. But verse 15 says, and I love this, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, and I could hear him nice and loud, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Arise. I love it. No doubt this newfound strength, um, faith and encouragement would have spread. It would have been contagious in this army. So in one of the strangest battle strategies we read in the Bible, the 300 men are sent out with trumpets, torches, and jars. And if, if you read it, it's really cool how it happens. They meet their enemy. God sent confusion into the ranks of the Midianites that they began attacking each other. 
When it was over 120,000 Midianites had killed one another and the other 15,000 had fled. Verse 21, Gideon's army watched as the army of Midian fell into panic, confusion and disordered retreat. Not one man in that army had to raise a sword to defeat the enemy. Gideon's small army could never have brought about such a victory in their own strength. God wanted to demonstrate to Israel that victory depends not on strength or numbers, but on obedience and commitment to him. So important. It's over. God had answered Israel's cry for help. He was a common man who believed in God. Gideon had become a hero to his people. And for us, you know, when we're feeling weak or lacking in faith, remember that all God asks for us and of us is that we are obedient and we keep our commitment to follow him. Through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we can overcome the enemies in our life, whether they're human or whether they're spiritual. Jesus is the true hero of our story. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier on, you know, while I was doing my research for this and just do some reading, studies on chapter eight just didn't pop up right away in my Google searches. And um, but that to me is the most important chapter of all. And I want to get that to that right now. So far, we've met the fearful Gideon, the faithful Gideon. And now we're about to meet what I call the foolish Gideon. So we've had coward and conqueror. Now we're going to meet the compromiser. Okay, so Judges 8. I, it's entitled, Win the War, Lose the Victory. So Judges 8, 1 to 20, you can finish reading that because his story of the conqueror continues here, okay? Gideon and his army of men continue to pursue the Midianites and deal with contentious Israelites as well. Gideon has become a confident, faith-filled leader, very different from the fearful farmer that we first met in the wine press. But we're going to start at verse 22. And here's where we begin to meet or we meet Gideon, the compromiser. And this is where his story changes. Verse 22 says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, um, Gideon replies in verse 23, and he says, I will not rule over you and my sons will not rule over you the Lord will rule over you. So Gideon rejected the throne on theological grounds. He understood that it was not his place to take the throne over Israel. But do you see something missing from his answer? He never corrects the people of Israel who saved them because they said, you have saved us. He doesn't correct them. Now, what he does next has been described as puzzling because his words were humble, but his actions were not. We can read in verses 29 to 32 that his lifestyle has been described as one of a king and not that of a judge or a retired army officer. Gideon was quite wealthy, partly because of the spoils of battle and partly from the gifts of the people. He also had many wives and uh, at least and one concubine that we know of. And his wives bore him 70, yes, seven zero, 70 sons, and his concubine bore him one. And Gideon names that son Abimelech, and that means my father is a king. Interesting. In verse 24, Gideon requests gold from the people, and this is what he does with it. In verse 27, then Gideon made it into an ephod and put, set it in his city, Ophrah. 
and all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his husband. Carol Ann, this is for you. I have a Spurgeon quote right here that we're going to add. Here, here it is. He did not set up an idol, but he made an ephod, an imitation of that wonderful vestment worn by the high priest. Perhaps he made it of solid gold, not to be worn, but to be looked at, simply to remind the people of the worship of God and not to be itself worshipped. But ah, dear friends, you see that if we go half an inch beyond what God's word warrants, we always get into mischief. Good old Spurgeon. All right, so the conqueror who once tore down his father's idols had now set up a trap for his own family. They worshiped the ephod instead of worshiping God. Gideon missed a great opportunity to bring reformation and perhaps revival to the land. The great victory over Midian gave Gideon good reason to call the nation back to the Lord in obedience to his law. But instead of using the occasion for God's glory, he used it for his own profit, and the nation eventually lapsed back into sin once again. Coward, conqueror, compromiser, fallen hero. So what caused Gideon's spiritual decline? And I'm going to pull a phrase from Pastor Jason's Sunday sermon, which is so good. The phrase blind guides, pride, celebrity, and wealth. Through his career, we see Gideon as a man who slipped from great heights of faith to a place of outright apostasy and rebellion against God. We could see that Gideon handled adversity better than he did success. Success, riches, and prominence brought him down. It isn't enough for us to begin well with God. We must continue on throughout our whole Christian life. Gideon, in his later lives, had to look back to see anything that he had done for God. All those works and victories were in his past. You know, I looked at this um, last portion of chapter eight as a real wake-up call. You know, it's sobering for every believer. It's easy to let the blind guides of life pull us away from the call of God on our lives, to pull us away from the intimate relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Each one of the heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11 were just human beings like each one of us. They had flaws. And thank goodness for that, or else we'd be worshiping them and their accomplishments. They would be our idols. Instead, we should be worshiping the only true hero of the Bible, and that's Jesus. He defeated his enemy, our enemy, and made it possible for us to live in triumph over sin and death. Romans 5, 17. So I want to encourage you after all that stuff from chapter eight, I want to encourage you today with some, with some scripture. And so as you continue what God is calling you to today. So Hebrews 12, one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangle and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And then Isaiah 40, 31. And those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under, under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
you know, so I did a lot of self-reflection after while I was studying uh, this passage on Gideon. So, and there's some parts I really was relating to. Did you relate to any of those today? Uh, do you find yourself fearful today or faith-filled or maybe feeling some foolishness? I don't know. Are there blind guides that are pulling you away from your true calling and away from finishing the race well? So, by the way, I just want to say um, that we, we better mention that we do finish this judges cycle here. The next part of the cycle is, and then they're at rest once again. So in verse 28, we do see, and it reads, so Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. But then the cycle is going to start all over again in verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and hoored against the Baals and made Baal Barith their God. And Baal Barith means Baal of the covenant. The Israelites sadly regarded Baal as their covenant God. So let's pray as we finish up today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the time in your word this morning. We pray now that you will just clothe us with your Holy Spirit as you clothe Gideon. Give us the courage that only comes from you so that we can face the battles ahead of us with boldness and faith. Help us to keep our eyes on you and you alone. We thank you for hope and encouragement that we can find in your word. May it be a light unto our paths today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was driving into work this morning. I kept singing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, which I think is important to keep our eyes up. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.